All right, take your Bible if you would, and uh, Genesis chapter number 1, verse 26. Be in prayer for my voice if you would. I think it'll make it just fine, but uh, if I've got to clear it a couple times, you will have to forgive me, and uh, I'm doing my best to, to fight off a cold. I've been fighting off my kids for the last week, and uh, I'm just kidding, but we've been working on trying not to get sick in the Trudell household, and uh, you gave it to me, so it's only fair if I get sick, I can give it back to you, and uh, so I, I'm, I'm doing fine. I just want to make it through the service tonight, but uh, this morning we... Uh, uh, we, we saw three of four points, and uh, I've never done it where I, I preach the first, the second, and the fourth point. Uh, we had to skip the third one, uh, and you'll, you'll probably see why tonight. There's a, there's a lot of text. There's a lot of study to do uh, on this topic, but we've been, we've been leaning in um, about this list of things that we saw a couple weeks ago. We've seen each week for the last three weeks um, that as Christ has created mankind, he created them for these particular purposes. We talked about likeness, blessing, dominion, and family. We were made for that uh, in the garden. It was worked into our creation that we were made to be like him. We were made to be blessed and in his presence. Uh, we were given the dominion over the, the fish of the sea and the uh, fowls of the air and the beasts of the, uh, of the field and so forth. You'll see that in, in Genesis 1.26. Uh, but we also saw in the last couple weeks, and I'm only just trying to catch you up. Uh, I would say most of you who aren't, you know, maybe coming just Sunday nights will know exactly where we're going. You, you were here this morning for the most part um, for the first three points. I guess it'd be the the first, second, and fourth point. We're going to jump into that third. Uh, but we've also discovered and discussed is that what we were made for was broken because of the fall, uh, but because of Jesus, we're being brought back into some of those same purposes, that purpose of man. Um, so let's look at Genesis chapter number one, verse 26 is kind of our starting point. We're going to be back to Genesis. We'll be over in the Psalms. We'll be a lot of places tonight, and I uh, will try to give you a heads up to get there ahead of time and uh, give you a chance to turn. But Genesis chapter one, verse number 26 uh, shows us man's created purpose as it relates to this idea this topic of dominion. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so what we find when we go back to the beginning is we find when God made us, he made us with his desire intact. And his desire was that we'd be like him, that we would know him, that we'd walk with him, but also that we would exercise dominion over the earth. And uh, simply put, dominion means authority. Uh, it means the ability to subdue something to your authority and to your rule. Uh, and so we're going to lean into this idea of biblical dominion in the life of the Christian today. And that's what we did this morning. We've learned the themes of those four things uh, over the last couple of weeks. But this morning, we really leaned into how does likeness affect our living in 2023? Uh, what is blessing in the life of a Christian in the here and now? And what is family supposed to look like in the here and now? And so if you were not able to listen to that message, I would encourage you. It really is the first parts of this particular message. Uh, but what we learn, one of the things I need to say as it relates to dominion and those other areas, likeness, blessing, family, and dominion, is that though I am made new, I am not made whole. Okay, so we've been talking about how because of Jesus, we are ushered back into the likeness of God. We're ushered back into the blessings of God. And those those things are breathed new life because of the cross, because of redemption. I now have this opportunity to be like him because of redemption. I can now come into the blessings of God because I have redemption. My family can go back to what God designed the family to be in the garden. But because something is made new, this is really important. Because something is made new does not mean that it is made whole. And let me explain to you what I mean. In Christ, my likeness of, uh, to God is being remade. I'm declared righteous by Jesus. No sin is imputed to me. I'm becoming like him. But here's the reality. 
in, in this life under the sun, I will never be like him in every way. Uh, we don't believe in the false doctrine of uh, sinless perfection. Uh, while you live under the curse, you are still going to have a flesh nature. Uh, there is a war within your members, as Paul calls it. While I want to do good, evil is present with me. And so, yes, likeness is made new, but it's not made whole. You'll never be just like him in this life under the sun or under the curse. Someday when he returns, though, we will be like him. We will know him like we are known. We'll be changed from one glory into his glory. And so we have to wait until he returns to be made whole, though because of the cross I'm made new. Does that make sense to you? Uh, let's talk about this then when, when in, in terms of being in the presence of God. Uh, I lost it in the garden, but it's made new. It's had life breathed back into it. I can now come back into the presence of God, but even salvation in this life can only get me so, I want to be careful I say this, near to his presence. Uh, I have to wait till he returns. And when he returns, then face to face, right? We see through that glass darkly, but then someday we will see him right there face to face. And so it's new, but it's not complete. It's, it, we have it, but we don't have it all the way is really what I'm going after. Our families are exactly the same. Because of Jesus, man, our families can, can have the, uh, the resemblance of God's garden purpose in, in our homes. We can have a family that's built correctly, but the fact of the matter is, Abel still dies. There's still brokenness in a family until Jesus returns. And when he returns and sets up an eternal kingdom, there'll never be a good night. There'll never be a goodbye. We'll always be together. And so we can be made new. <clears throat> But it will require the return of Jesus to make all things whole. So it is with this area of dominion. By the reforming power of the cross, dominion is brought back to God's people, but only in so many ways. And that's important because there's, uh, especially with this topic, there's a bit of a ditch uh, on the topic of dominion. People can get kind of way off into left field when it comes to this particular doctrine. Um, But again, we are made new. Uh, We have been given some dominion back. But when he returns, we'll have that dominion like we did in the garden. But until then, it's it's a bit modified. And like I said, this matters because what happens is you have people claiming all kinds of verses to say all kinds of things the Bible doesn't say. Uh, There's this this doctrine out there. It exists mostly in charismatic churches, uh, but it's the idea of dominionist theology. And it's this this kind of, it sounds really close, so it's going to be hard to discern maybe for you, but it sounds really close. But dominionist theology says this, hey, you have been given dominion by God. You were created in the garden with dominion. And now that we've been brought back into that relationship by Jesus, all good so far, says, well, you should go out and conquer the world in the name of Jesus. Now, again, should you go out and live as a Christian in every faculty of your life and bring all things to the glory of God? Yes, but dominionist theology at its furthest extent uh, believes in the idea of basically a Christian takeover and an establishment of a Christian, uh, you know, political society. And, and uh, again, it leans really heavily on the fact that we're not waiting for the return of Jesus for him to be over all things. We're going to go and take all things under ourselves and then Jesus is going to come back. And so it's not far from the truth, uh, but it isn't correct. It isn't the right biblical mindset. And it's misguided because it's forgotten the first principle that, yes, we have dominion, but not all the way. We, there are some things you're going to find from the text of Scripture we cannot have dominion over yet. Now, we will someday in the return of Jesus have dominion over all of those things. But as it stands right now, it's made new, but it's not made whole. Just because uh, we have it doesn't mean we have it in the fullness that we will someday. And so dominion under the curse cannot accomplish the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That's going to take the return of Jesus. Uh, but what we're going to find with dominion is exactly what we find with everything else. That dominion does have 
have its effect in power. Likeness in in this life under the sun can only take me so far because I'm under the curse. The blessings of this life in presence of God I can only get so much of because I'm still under the curse. Family can only go so far while it's still under the curse. And dominion in the same respects can only go so far because we're under the curse. And listen, uh, uh, don't, don't be disappointed. It can go far. We can exercise dominion over some really important areas because of Christ in us. Uh, but the Bible doesn't ever teach us to go take over. It, uh, there's no hostile takeover planned in the, old, in the New Testament for God's people to go and you know, uh, you know, storm the White House and make it you know, all of a sudden a, a Christian this or that. No, we are to use our position. We'll, we'll see some of this as we study it out. But the fact of the matter is, we are not able to subdue some things, but we are called to subdue others. So my purpose for the Bible study this, this evening uh, is to show you what your relationship with dominion and my relationship with dominion ought to be while we're still under the curse. And again, when Jesus comes back, man, this thing breaks open and we get to have access and authority over everything, okay? But until then, there's some rules and some expect, uh, exceptions uh, to the norm, okay? So let's pray and we'll ask his blessing. God, I do need your help. <clears throat> there's a lot of things I want to say. and There's a lot of things I've studied. There's a lot of things in my heart. And there are a lot of texts to go through. So I pray, God, for just some clarity. Uh, I pray, Lord, you'll help my mind and transitions and be able to present this truth to our church family. And, and uh, I, I know that this is one of those things in the everyday uh, that maybe would apply, we might think would apply a little less than some of the other topics. But, God, it, it's so important that we understand what you've given us authority over and then what we're waiting for you to take authority over. And so I pray, God, that you would just help us be good students this evening and, and be blessed. Lord, your, your church family came out tonight, Lord, and they decided to honor you with their presence and some of them not feeling super great and some of them uh, maybe had a bit of a long day or a long week and I pray God your blessing upon them in the form of the preaching of the word I pray it would be refreshing to them I pray God it would be a well of joy and 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 uh, just a time of refreshment for each and every Christian soul as we hear the word of God preached tonight bless us we pray in Christ's name we ask these things amen so here's what we're going to do um this is I told you even this morning that this morning was a bit more of a bible study almost like a Wednesday night really trying to uh, nuts and bolts some things out well it's no different for this third of four po- of four points uh, this evening. We're really going to try to be methodical in our development of this truth, and we're going to try not to get anything out of order. And so we're going to try to start at the beginning and work our way all the way to the book of Revelation in our relationship and understanding of this idea of dominion. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. I think you're already there. We're going to look down at verse number 28 in just a second, but the first thing we're going to learn about dominion is that God delighted in sharing his dominion with man in the garden. He delighted, but he didn't need it. Okay, that's really foundational and very important. So when God decided to make man over the earth, he didn't need man to go subdue the earth. He invited man to go subdue the earth. And God enjoyed the process of sharing his authority and bringing man into authority. You think about the millennial reign or even in the eternal state that we're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And why? Does God need help ruling and reigning? No. No, but he delights in us sharing in that process. And so you're going to see that from the very beginning, the very first mention of dominion. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. You saw verse 26. They're very similar, but there's a couple things in verse 28 that aren't in verse 26. It said, And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. And would you read that word out loud? Okay, I don't want you to miss that word. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the, uh, the sea and over the fowls of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so God said, hey, listen, you're in charge of it all. I want you to go out and I want you to subdue it. And I want you to think about what that word subdue means. Now, if you've got little kids, you know what that word subdue means sometimes. You know, you're maybe in a public setting or in an airplane or something of that nature. You got to kind of like bring them down. Uh, the word subdue simply means this, to bring something under your own power and control and your authority. 
Which, hold on, is a very interesting thought when you think about creation. Did God, did God tell man to go subdue it because it was chaotic? We're still pre-fall. There's no chaos. There's no disorder. God just made it. So God isn't inviting man to go out and subdue something uh, to tame it because it needs taming. Not at all. In fact, God, the earth is still tame. Uh, it just wasn't man's yet. So, so follow me here. God is in authority over all the earth. He just finished creating it. Now he invites man to go out and bring it under himself. The earth is already under God. Now he invites man to go bring the earth under himself. So it isn't that the earth was chaotic and God needed man to kind of forge out there into the waves and and bring it under subjection and bring it back to him so much as God was saying, hey, I just want to partner with you because I want to give you purpose. I want you to go and order the land and I want you to go till it and I want you to go break ground and clear the trees and make something beautiful because it's for you. Now, again, God is going to eat the fruit of those men's labors. He's going to eat the fruit from Abel and from, uh, from Cain and so forth. But God wasn't commissioning man to go out and do something he couldn't. The earth is the Lord's. The earth was the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So all along, for all of creation and beyond, they obeyed the sound of God's voice. In fact, Psalm 104, I'll read it for you. Verse number 5 says, Who laid the foundation of the earth, that it should not be removed forever? Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder, they hasted away. They hasted away. At creation, all of creation was meticulously, carefully obeying the very voice of God. And yet at the final moment of creation, God says, okay, man, go subdue it. Not because he needed it brought under his authority, but because he was giving man the opportunity to bring it under man's authority. And that's really significant when it comes back to dominion as we see it in the future. So I want you to notice, secondly, would you go to uh, Psalm chapter 145? Psalm chapter 145. We're going to learn a couple truths. They'll feel a little bit maybe disjointed from each other, um, but I promise you they're going to fit into the whole picture of dominion. Uh, this is one of those topics that you are going to have to approach kind of uh, from a systematic theology standpoint. You're going to have to gather all of the, the teaching of it into one place. Um, there's no place that you could go in one succinct passage and learn about dominion. It's going to take some some searching and navigating through the text of scripture. And so the second thing we're going to learn, number one, God invited man to be a part of dominion or to have dominion because it was God's good pleasure to allow man to partner with him. Number two, God's authoritative dominion was not compromised at the fall. It's really important. God did not cease to be sovereign because man ceased to be holy. Man lost dominion, but God did not. That's very important when it comes to how does that apply to our everyday. Psalm chapter 145 verse 13 says, Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. That word all is pretty clear. All generations. So God doesn't need us to take anything over that he lost or that he lost jurisdiction over. Uh, Just like he didn't need Adam to go take the land uh, back because God had lost it. But he delighted in sharing authority with Adam. He delighted in Adam working the ground. He delighted in Adam bringing him fruit. The fall did not take away God's dominion, but it did take away ours. And so God is still and has always been seated as the sovereign of the universe. Um, We, however, have lost much of our ability to subdue it. You think about the thorns that Adam would now face. Whereas before, he could clear the ground and there wouldn't be any thorns or thistles. And now, because of the fall, he's got to deal with thorns. And he's got to deal with toil in his labor. And he's got to deal with all these new problems where it's becoming very difficult to subdue the ground now. But again, God is still seated securely 
in the heavens. And Jesus said it best. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus has securely possessed the reins of all humanity. Now you'd say, yeah, but pastor, how do we reconcile that with the God of this world? And, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Satan offering Jesus the kingdoms. It all reconciles beautifully. Again, you can be over something and let it to its own devices and still have the ability in a moment to end it and take back all authority. Uh, that, that, there isn't a conflict there uh, between Satan having his will and way in this world and Jesus allowing Satan to have his work while he's waiting to return uh, and claim it for himself. And we'll see some of that as we get closer to the end of the Bible. And so man's dominion was given as a delight of God, not because God needed it. Number two, God's dominion was not compromised through the fall. And that's a very important theological truth to carry with us into our understanding of dominion. The third truth we need to recognize uh, is that God in his redemptive plan is actively bringing uh, uh, us to us as a church to a fuller understanding of dominion. I'll say it this way. God is more concerned about the church recognizing his dominion than he is about the world recognizing his dominion. Now you say, why does that matter? Well, hold on, it will. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is where dominion theology becomes a problem. Dominion theology teaches that we need to get out there and make sure that everyone comes under the dominion of God. Well, to that I would say he will make sure all things come under dominion to himself. We'll get to that at the end. But what God is more concerned about right now in the church age is that you and I, as his people, recognize his authority. That you and I make him the head over all of things to us. I'll show you where, where Paul says that. Uh, Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. And notice what his prayer is in verse 18, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. His prayer is that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul simply says this, I I pray that you understand God's plan for you. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? Paul's concerned about what we believe, not necessarily about what lost people think about God, but what we believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he brought in Christ, or which he wrought in Christ, forgive me, when he raised him from the dead and set him at the right hand in heavenly places. So Christ is seated, verse 21, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So, so Paul says, hey, listen, I need you to understand the will of God for you. Jesus is still in charge, but notice what Jesus is concerned about. And hath put all things, verse 22, under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things. Read the last two words out, three words out loud. To the church. Listen, God is less concerned that the world recognizes him as king. He is far more concerned that the church recognizes him as king. Because here's the reason. You and I are the vehicle that God chose to reach this world. So again, the world doesn't need to know that God is the the master of the universe as much as they need to know that he's the savior of humanity. They'll come to him as king eventually. And that's not his end goal. You think about the entirety of the tribulation. God is sending them through hard tribulation so they might recognize him as savior. They see him as king. They reject him as king. They shake their fist at him as king. And yet God's desire is that they would know him as savior. The way in which he chose that to be done is that the church would get on board, that the church, he would be the head of all things to the church, that the church would recognize his authority and his dominion. And listen, if we can get under his authority and realize how high he is, we'll obey him. And if we obey him, we'll lift him up. And if we lift him up, he'll draw all men unto him and folks will be saved. Listen, we get the cart in front of the horse when we spend our life trying to make Jesus king of the world. He's king over all things to the church. 
He will be king over all the world, but right now he's concerned that to the church, he has dominion. That to the church, we see his authority and we recognize and we come under him. Uh, there's a big problem. It's, it's backwards when we think that, well, the, the world will see him as king and we'll conquer everything for him. And we almost take this like papal holy war type thing. Let's go conquer all nations and bring them under. Hasn't worked. That's not the method of the church. That's not the call of the scripture. There's not a single command that God says, go subdue the world. That exists in Genesis. It will exist in the garden someday when we return into God's presence. But right now, what we're called to do is be obedient, to let him be the Lord over us and show us and teach us and send us that we might go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, it's it's a false understanding when we think, well, all we have to do is make Jesus famous. We need to make him king. No, we need to show him a savior. We need to show him as the rescuer of humanity and let all men come to him and be redeemed. And his desire is, yes, he will be king over all the world. But his desire right now is that he would be head over all things to the church. That you and I would recognize his dominion and his lordship. So number one, man's dominion was given because of God's delight, not because of God's need. Number two, God's dominion was not compromised in the fall. He's still seated securely in charge of all things. Number three, Christ is pursuing the church's recognition of his dominion. Number four, I want you to see, here's where we get to kind of get really down to the, the nitty gritty. What, do we, what then do we get the right to exercise dominion over? So we're, we're saved, we're brought back into dominion. What is dominion useful for now in my everyday? I want you to go to Romans chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 6. So now we, we've kind of laid some groundwork. We understand that God's in charge still. That God's desire, his primary desire is that to the church he would be the head over all things. That they would recognize his dominion. He's still seated up there, but he wants the church to recognize that. Uh, And that man was given dominion because God delights in it, not because God needs it. So then how do we exercise dominion? I would say number number one, well really this is number five. um, We are called to exercise dominion over our own flesh. So this is where dominion really, really begins to matter to you and I. This is the everyday Monday through you know, Sunday type thing. Uh, this is what we get to take home. Our theology affecting our behavior is that you and I are given dominion, not over death. We're given dominion over sin, though. We're given dominion over our own fleshly appetites. And Romans 6, 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So listen, where once you were powerless to overcome sin, by Jesus, you are powerful to overcome temptation. You are powerful to overcome addiction. You have the ability in Jesus. When you were dead in trespasses and sin, you couldn't save yourself from the ocean of sin. But now that you are made alive, you can through the grace of Jesus. You can have conquering power and dominion over those things. And that's where I really struggle with the dominionist theology is that they're like, they're so worried about conquering, you know, Arizona legislature that they're not even worried about conquering their own lusts. Uh, You get the cart in front of the horse. Dominion wasn't so we could establish some nation state for Christians. Dominion was so that God's people could walk in freedom and the liberty that they're bought in because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And that's where dominion really begins to take effect in the life of the believer. Through Christ's transforming power, I now have the ability to say no to my flesh. I'm made new, but here's that reality again. Unfortunately, I'm not made whole. So I can conquer my sin, but I can't reach sinless perfection. Uh, Paul talks about that war that waged within, and when I want to do good, I, I end up doing bad. The things that I don't want to do, that I end up doing. The things I want to do, I don't end up doing. And so listen, as a Christian, we should tenaciously seek to bring under our feet our sin and lustful appetites. I would say number two in 2 Corinthians 10, our thoughts. Our thoughts, God commands us to bring those under subjection. 
to be in control of what we think. We saw some of this last week, to whatsoever things are lovely and pure and just to think on these things, to have captivity over your thoughts, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 10, 5. Casting down imaginations and every uh, high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to exercise dominion. Again, we may not have dominion over the, you know, every fowl and every you know, thing on this planet. We may not be able to cast down kingdoms, but we certainly can cast down evil imaginations that exalt themselves against God. He has given us that ability as Christians uh, to walk on top of that. And so listen, you're in charge of what you think. You're in charge of what you allow to come uh, into your mind or what you allow to come into your ears. Uh, You're in charge of that. And you have that access as God. You have that dominion to tell yourself, I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to allow my mind to continue wandering. And sometimes we, we, we treat our thoughts like they just happen to us and we have no control over them. Oh, I'm just so discouraged. Okay, bring it into captivity. That discouragement is saying, yeah, God's not good or God's not worthy or this trial's too big or you're not going to make it. Okay, yeah, that happens, but exercise dominion over that. Uh, realize that you're a child of God and your birthright is dominion and dominion brings that under captivity. And this is something specifically named as being able to exercise dominion over. So I'd say our flesh or our sin, our thoughts, and then the Bible's pretty inclusive here. Jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just to back a couple pages. Any other vice you and I have been given the ability to exercise dominion over? Any other vice? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 12. Paul says this, and we've studied this, so we don't need to go all the way into the background. We've, we studied this entire chapter out a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power, a very similar word to dominion, of any. So Paul says this, look, I'm not going to be brought under the power of any exercise, whether I'm allowed to or not. I'm not going to be brought under the power of any sin. I am going to exercise dominion over it. And listen, freedom is both a birthright and a responsibility of a child of God. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 36 says this, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Because you're a child of God, you are set free from your vice. You are set free from your sin. You are set free from your addiction. What you could not conquer in the flesh, you can now conquer in dominion through the Spirit of God. And again, to me, that matters way more than being able to conquer some nation state. The ability to conquer my own flesh. And again, tied in that same vein of thinking is, well, you know, by his stripes we're healed. That's talking about our sin. That's not talking about some sickness that we can just claim the cross and immediately be healed from it. Now, God does do healing. I've seen it myself. I've seen it firsthand. But you get the cart in front of the horse. You start misapplying Bible verses. But one of the areas God does guarantee us dominion over is over our flesh, is over these vices and over these lustful appetites. But I want you to see number five. So we're called to exercise dominion over our flesh. And then I would say number five, and, and I, the, the best verse I've got for you, it really doesn't apply, uh, and that's, that's for a reason. The, the number five thing I would say as it relates to dominion is, yes, we should exercise dominion over our flesh, but we can try to exercise dominion over the affairs of this life. Now, you say, Pastor, you, you state that with very minimal authority. You're right, I do. And here's the reason. There's not a single biblical command that tells us as Christians to go out and exercise dominion in this world. There's not a single verse, except for in Genesis over the fowls of the air and over the fish of the sea. But there is no Bible verse that, you know, Bill Johnson of Bethel uses to say, go into the world and subdue, you know, Hollywood and government and X, Y, and there's no verse in the Bible that says to do that. Now, should a Christian then, though, here's the logic behind it, should a Christian, though, try to use their position of authority as, a, as engaging for influence? 
Should a Christian use their, if they're a school teacher, should they use that platform to bring glory to God? Well, the answer would absolutely be yes. Should a Christian, if they're given the opportunity to serve in office and utilize their position to further the gospel's sake? Well, the answer would be yes. But you don't have the ability to kind of like tread down serpents kind of thing. And I'm going to conquer this and I'm going to rise to the top. But I would say, understand this. Matthew 28, 18 gives us all the marching orders we need in this regard. Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and conquer every industry. It does not say that. It says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. He says, go out with the gospel. Don't, well, I'm, I'm naming and claiming this raise in this corner office for the kingdom's sake. Listen, he may in his goodness and grace give you the corner office so you can utilize it for the kingdom's sake. Sure enough. But we don't, there's not a single verse that gives us the authority to go and do that. Though I think we probably have the responsibility to engage our place of employment, to engage our positions or authority for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of those that we, we know. That relationship evangelism we've been talking much about. So listen, we're called to exercise dominion over our flesh. We can try, and I think it's a reasonable effort, um, to exercise dominion over the spheres of influence we've been given. Um, and then I would say number, th- uh, number next under that, just for the sake of being thorough, there are some things, as I studied out this topic, that we should not exercise dominion over, which might sound a little bit unique. So let's go ahead and go to those texts. Go to Matthew chapter 20, verse number 25, if you would. There's some things that God very specifically says, you are not to exercise dominion over this. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. It says, uh, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever shall be chief, will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to minister unto, but to, minister, uh, to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I would say under what we should not exercise dominion over? Each other. God has not called us to exercise authority over each other. Uh, God hasn't called us to power posture and, well, I've been in the church longer and I'm older and I'm better and I'm this and I'm that. He says that's what the Gentiles do. They exercise dominion on top of each other. That is not God's call for us. In fact, to me, that very much so flies in the face of the the dominion theology that says, I'm going to go be over everybody. Uh, No, let him be the servant. The greatest person in Faith Baptist Church is the servant of all, the one who ministers to. The Son of Man didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister. And again, we've always we've seen that. We talked about the upside down pyramid, right? When you walk into Faith Baptist Church the first time as a visitor, we're the ones get you know you're the one getting the good seat, and we're making sure you're comfortable. We get you to the front of the line at the coffee corner. After you've been here for 15 years, you're giving up your seat. You're getting no coffee. I mean, it com- it goes completely backwards, right? Uh, and that's fine because the greatest is the servant. You realize that this is an upside-down thing. We're not climbing to the top. We're climbing to the bottom so that Jesus can be on the top. Uh, And we're not to exercise dominion and authority over people. Uh, That's not how how God would have us do it. I would say there's another area we should uh, refrain from exercising dominion, and that would be over another Christian's faith. Um, in fact, for that, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. A uh, little bit of background, and, and we just finished this book a couple of months ago, and so you'll maybe know. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. There's been a problem 
We don't know exactly what it is. Um, Paul addresses many different issues in this book, but we're still in chapter number one, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. And uh, Paul is, is kind of speaking to the reason that he didn't come already. And he says, listen, I didn't come because I didn't want to blow you up. I didn't, I didn't want to have this big confrontational blow up face to face. And so, but he says this, he says, I, when I come, this is what I don't want people to think. I, I didn't show up because I didn't want people thinking this. Look at verse 24. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Paul says this, I didn't show up because I don't want people to think I was trying to exercise authority over what you believe and what you do. And I would say that's a, that's a pretty good thing for us to kind of apply back into our lives. I know that's not a, a, an imperative teaching. Paul isn't saying, don't exercise dominion over faith. But what he's saying is, hey, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to come and exercise dominion over your faith. I think we can kind of apply that to our own hearts and lives and say, hey, we probably should be careful of the same. If Paul, an apostle who had the ability to maybe exercise authority over this church that he started and possess apostolic authority, and he said, hey, I didn't want to come and subdue and you know, exercise dominion over everything you say, believe, and do, I think God's people would be wise to not be lords over God's heritage. To not be the one that has to, you know, you're like the, you know, the, the standard police or the preference police or the, you know, the, oh, you believe like I do? And are you, you know, you're holding the same standard I'm holding? No, don't have dominion over people's faith. Let God deal with them. That, that is, that is unto, unto their Lord and not unto you. So we have some things we should exercise dominion over. We've seen that. Some things we shouldn't exercise dominion over. And then this last one is a big one. There are some things, and I think you've probably been waiting on this one, that we simply cannot exercise dominion over. And this speaks to that idea of being made new, but not being made whole. We have dominion, but not all of it yet. We have dominion, but not what we had in the garden. We've lost some of that. Listen, some things are simply outside of our jurisdiction. Even as born again, being reformed beings, right? Some things we cannot just cast off or overthrow. But when he returns, all things will be put under him. So let me show you. We're going to just do a little bit of a study here. We're going to start in Hebrews, and so go there if you would, and then 1 Corinthians 15. So you're close to 1 Corinthians. Put a ribbon there. That's where we're going to come back and spend most of our time, but I do need to establish a couple of biblical uh, realities. I, wanted, I do want to remind you that God is over all, right? We understand that from the very beginning. The fall did not compromise God's dominion. However, sin did bring in all kinds of complications to the matter. Now, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 7, in verse number 7, we're going to learn some important truths, and then we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians. So we're talking about some things cannot be, we cannot exercise dominion over. It's, it's not our time, nor is it our jurisdiction. Um, Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 7, says this, <clears throat> Thou madest him, that's Jesus, a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. But now we see uh, not yet all things put under him. Now, we studied that passage out ourselves, and some of that applies to man, and a large portion of that text does apply to Jesus. In this particular text, is saying, hey, all things are under him, but not everything is under him yet. So what, what are those things that aren't under Jesus just yet? They're under his authority, but he hasn't brought them to himself. I would say, number one, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we'll spend the rest of our text. Uh, for the evening, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I would say, what is not under Jesus just yet? I would say not all souls who will be saved are under Jesus just yet. And I'll show you that in the text. I'm not just making up a cool list of things. I'll show you right now in 1 Corinthians 7, or 1 Corinthians 15, the rest of my list. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21, it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So the, the desire is that others would still be saved, but let's keep reading. Then cometh the end. So after these people are saved, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. So there's still some people who aren't saved, right? And we have a partnership responsibility with Jesus. But did you notice what Jesus is going to put down? Well, number one, he's going to bring men to himself. Number two, what he's going to put down there at the end of verse number 24, he shall put down all rule and all authority and power. So at this point in our experience as Christians, life under the sun or life under the curse, there are still rulers, principalities and powers that Jesus has not subdued to himself. Is he over them? Yes. 100%. Has he brought them to his feet? No, not yet, but he will. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. They don't maybe now. They stand in pearly houses, you know, uh, on hilltops. They exercise dominion and authority and make laws that are contrary to the nature of God. And the reality is that Jesus himself says, I will subdue them. It's not God's people's responsibility to go and storm the White House and, you know, bring them down. Uh, Jesus is going to bring all authority to himself. He will bring it down to their knees himself. But look at verse number 25. He keeps going. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Who's the active person in this verse? Is it us, God's people, exercising dominion over all the enemies? We'll slay them all. No, Jesus will reign and put all enemies under his feet. But notice the last thing you and I don't have jurisdiction over. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So listen, under the curse, life under the sun, we don't have the ability maybe to exercise over all authorities, but Jesus will. We don't have the authority to over death. And that's what some charismatics, well, we, got, we have dominion so we can exercise authority over death. No, the last of all enemies Jesus will put under his feet is death. But right now we live in a world where bones still break and we still lose loved ones. We still lose good church members. We still bury people. Why? Don't we have dominion? Kind of, but not in the fullness of con- that, that it will someday be. Listen, he has conquered all of those things, but yet he has not brought them under his feet. In fact, just jump down to verse number 54 of the same chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54 is this famous passage. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Listen, the sting of death is gone, but the curse of death is still here. We still live under it. But someday Jesus will bring all enemies, all authority, and death itself to himself. And, and, and just stay there if you would in 1 Corinthians. I'll read for you Romans 6, 9 says, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. But it does in this life still have dominion over us. Now, if Jesus were to return and take us home today, he'd have no dominion over us, right? We'll never die. But the fact of the matter is, it has no dominion over him. He, his throne is still securely established, but he will bring death under himself eventually. Now, look at verse number 27 of that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. We'll keep reading. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which uh, uh, did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Here's what he just said. 
There are enemies, and there are rulers, and there are authorities that are outside of your, your jurisdiction and my jurisdiction. He's given us dominion and called us to exercise dominion over ourself and over our flesh. He's called us to not exercise it over each other. Uh, he's called us to, to be servants. But he does say there are some things outside of your jurisdiction that I myself will bring under, that I myself will bring every knee to bow and every authority under me, and death the last of all I'll bring under me. And he says, and when that day happens, I'll turn this entire kingdom back to my father. I'll give it to him, and it'll all be over. In fact, what we're seeing is what Daniel promised in his prophecy, Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions and beheld one like the Son of Man came with clouds of heaven and came to the ancient, uh, uh, and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed." So someday he will have 100% present, active, here on earth dominion. But until then, we are being made new, but we are not yet whole. We have authority over our, our fleshly nature. We have the ability to bring some things back to the glory of God and redeem perhaps some things. Uh, but again, death is not one of those things we can conquer. Uh, authority sometimes are things that we cannot conquer. But he has given us the ability to rule and reign with him. But that's a promise for later. That's a promise that someday will be fulfilled. But right now, what we're called to do is to, because of his all power and all authority, to go. To share the gospel. Not, not to, to, to bring down nations, but to go teach all nations. Not to topple kingdoms, but to go bring them the, the gospel so they might see him as savior and know him as king. And so again, this, this idea with dominion, I, I might be teaching some things that, uh, or I might be teaching a group of people who maybe you don't, you've never heard of dominion theology. And cool, that's great. That's really helpful. But you're going to run into it, uh, especially in, in pop Christianity. It's all about the kingdoms here and the kingdoms now, and you've got dominion and you can do this. And it's a really big buzzword. But it's, a, it's a, a gross misunderstanding and misapplication of Scripture. That yes, we do have dominion, but not in its fullest. We do have authority, but not in its fullest. And someday, when Jesus returns, he will exercise full dominion and will be brought back under him. Not because he needs us to rule and reign, but because he wants us to rule and reign with him. And that's where a Christian's relationship with dominion is. So let's pray.